This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 55. I'm reading from the NIV. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child who you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greetings reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so if you guys remember a couple of years ago, uh, we were redoing the floor in the showroom. And so the first step in that was we had to rip out the carpet. So uh, I don't remember exactly who all was involved, but thank you very much for helping. Uh, and so anyways, when, when we were done, we had this big pile of carpet. And so we were talking about it and we were like, oh, well, like we get Ottawa garbage pickup here. They'll take anything. Like we, we could just put all this carpet at the road. Um, but I think that wasn't garbage week. And we thought like, oh, if it gets rained on or what, like, what if they don't take it? Um, so Scott Norris and I decided, well, we'll just, we'll just throw it in the trailer and we'll take it to the dump. Now I've never been to the dump before, at least not in Ontario. Uh, so this was kind of exciting for me. Like I, I like that, you know, the big machines and it's always exciting to go to the dump. And so, uh, so we load up and we hop in the truck and we go over just, just over to the trailer road dump. It's not very far. And I'm thinking like, I've been in the dump a lot of times when we were in British Columbia and this is like, I don't know, it's what a 12 minute drive. So I think we're going to be there and back in like 45 minutes tops. And, and so if you've never been to the dump, let me tell you about how it works. So you drive in and then you... You kind of wait in line for a couple seconds and then you pull up onto this scale and it weighs your vehicle and whatever garbage you have. And then they tell you, okay, you're going to go here. So then you drive over to the bin or where the pile or whatever it is, you chuck all your stuff out and then you drive back onto the scale and then they, they do the math, they deduct whatever you removed and then you pay for that weight and then you drive home and you're done. Uh, so, I mean, it's not, it's not a long process. It doesn't take very long to throw stuff out of the back of a truck. So, but then we get, we get to the trailer dump and like the, the line is huge. And this was like a Tuesday morning. I don't, I don't know why the line was so long. And, and as we start getting up towards the, the booth where these scales are, I realized like, well, they have two scales. This should be even faster. Like it looks like they've got one scale in, one scale out. Um, but, but the one scale, like nobody's driving on it. And then, and then we get closer and it's like, well, there's guys working on that scale. And, and then I realized like, well, what they're doing is they're, they're calibrating the scale. And then I remember someone telling me like once a year, I think that they, they have to recalibrate these scales. So they have to make sure that when, when your truck drives on and it says like your truck weighs 5,000 pounds, that it's, it's exactly 5,000 pounds or, or whatever your vehicle weighs. So that like if you drive onto the scale and it's wrong, then either, either you're, 
you're not paying enough for the garbage that you're bringing in, which ultimately would result in everybody's taxes going up, or you're, you're paying too much for the garbage that you're bringing in, and that just sucks. Nobody wants to overpay for anything. So it's really important, and I think it's actually a legal requirement that these scales are certified and recalibrated on a yearly basis. So it's not just uh, weight scales that uh, require recalibration. As we live in this liminal space and time, we actually need to re recalibrate ourselves. So what does liminal mean? Uh, if you've been coming to Cornerstone over the past month, then you will be. Uh, then you will know what the word means. But the word liminal means the means threshold. Um, and uh, it's that moment when it, it's that moment like when you go from inside your house to outside your house and you just cross over the doorway. That's that liminal space. Uh, it's the moment when you cross uh, through and you end up on the other side. Uh, or it's that time in between the moment that you are born and that you die. So we're all in this liminal moment. We're all living this threshold life right now. So. As I asked you last week, I'm, I will ask you again, how has your liminal living been this week? How has your liminal living been this week? How has it been living on the threshold? How has it been existing as you teeter on the edge of time and eternity? Week one, we uh, looked at how liminal life, uh, uh, how the liminal life is a revealing life. Um, and week two, we looked at how the uh, liminal life is a responding life. Last week, we looked at how the liminal life is a repenting life. And, uh, and you know, what we heard last week is that if, if we are to face that moment when our sinful humanity encounters God's holiness, uh, what the Bible refers to as the wrath of which is coming, if we're to survive that encounter, then we, we cannot flee. That's what we learned last week. And we cannot trust in our family name. Instead, we must shelter under this, under this protective force field that we can only find in Jesus. And we do this by practicing repentance and then by proving the truth of that repentance by bearing the fruits of repentance, the generosity and the integrity and the contentment. So liminal living, threshold living, is about re uh, revealing, it's about responding, and it's about repenting. And this morning, it's about re recalibrating. Now, to set the scene for our passage this morning, uh, let me read to you some words from Reverend Deborah, who, who preached a few weeks ago here. This is actually taken from her sermon last Sunday, and, uh, and she was preaching on the same passage last week that I'm preaching on this morning. So here are Reverend Deborah's words. She said, I, I love the Christmas story told in Luke. My favorite part is where both Elizabeth and Mary discover they are, that they are pregnant at the same time. Here are Elizabeth and Mary, who were both given news of surprise pregnancies months apart, both with children sent from God, both with children who were destined to die for their beliefs, with children who were sent to point to salvation or to bring salvation. Elizabeth is the first person to recognize the coming Messiah. 
This must have been such a joy for Mary to hear. She was not in the best circumstances. She was pregnant, unwed. Her fiancé almost left her, and the rumors were probably flying. I cannot imagine how the poor young girl was trying to explain to those around her that she was not pregnant by her own doing. Then an angel had come to her side. Uh, had come to her and said that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, that she was carrying the Lord God, that her son was the Messiah that they had all been waiting for, and now she's visiting her cousin who is also expecting a baby unexpectedly. And, and, and Elizabeth recognizes the truth. And because of that, Elizabeth and John are filled with the Holy Spirit. A blessing is put upon them for seeing the truth and for believing. I'm just going to lower this mic, okay, Carl? We all know what a, uh, what a sandwich is. It has a piece of bread at the bottom, then there's stuff inside, and then there's bread again at the top. This is a sandwich. And here we see on the screen a sandwich. And in this passage, we read a sandwich. We see a sandwich in the passage. And it's a super tasty but a surprising sandwich. It's a sandwich that we're not expecting to see. Because this isn't a ham sandwich or a cheese sandwich or a whatever your favorite sandwich is. This is a mercy sandwich. And we see the top layer uh, of this sandwich in verse, verse 50. It says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And then we see the lower layer of the sandwich, of this mercy sandwich in verse 54. This is verse 50. And then we see in verse 54, it says that he has remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's Luke 1, 54. And then in between this word mercy and this word merciful is this, um, is this amazing stuffing that, uh, that really explains and describes what this mercy is. And how does Mary define mercy in this incredible song in Luke 1? How does this little teenage mother of God explain the mercy of this God who is growing cell by cell in her womb, even at that very moment. How does she explain it? She says this, that he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in, in their inmost thoughts. He has brought low rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary is describing God's mercy as this, as a cosmic recalibration. When everything is brought into alignment with the way that it should be, in the way that God created it to be. So we often think of mercy as God being nice, right? You know, he's merciful, which means he's nice. Or if we have some understanding of the Bible, then we might say that God's mercy is not giving us what we deserve, while God's grace is him giving us what we don't deserve. And that's true, and that's right. But here, Mary introduces something else into this concept of mercy. Like I said, God's mercy, according to this hymn, this uh, hymn that Mary sings, this kind of anthem of war that Mary sings, is a recalibration. It's a realignment. 
God, through Jesus, has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up the humble. God, through Jesus, has filled the hungry with good things. But he's also sent away the rich empty. God's mercy, okay, wrap your head around this, that God's mercy involves bringing down people. And God's mercy includes sending people away empty. How can this be? Well, first of all, I think that this is, a, this is God's mercy because mercy must involve an element of judgment. In, so in, in order for mercy to be mercy, there must be an element of judgment there. We see this in the court case against Larry Nasser, the U.S. Olympic judge who was sentenced to 175 years in jail and whose victims just uh, received 380 million U.S. For Nasser's victims to receive mercy, Nasser needed to receive the judgment. Okay, it wouldn't have been enough for the USA Gymnastics to say, here's 380 million. That wasn't enough. They needed to know that there was judgment as well, that 175 years. And so God lifts up the humble and he brings down the rulers from their throne. Mercy and judgment are both sides, are both two sides of God's, of God's idea of what justice is. And so we see this clearest in Exodus 34 when God reveals his unfiltered self to Moses. Okay, Moses sees God's unfiltered self. And what is it that God says there? He says, and God passed in front of Moses saying, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is mercy. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth, fourth generation. We see judgment here. And so God's mercy sometimes involves bringing down people for him to be merciful to the others, just like Larry Nasser. But there's another way that God's mercy involves bringing people down. It's not only judgment. It's actually redemption. Uh, it's that God sends people away empty because he has this idea of redemption. Because sometimes the only way for God to eventually lift some people up is to bring them down. It's to first bring them down. Many times in the Bible, God judges his people in order to wake them up to the way that they've been living. Why? So that they can return to him so that they can recalibrate. You know, if I see someone with their head in their cell phone walking towards the edge of the cliff, I might be tempted to be nice and to respect their human freedom. And so I don't say anything. But that's not merciful. That's the opposite of mercy. If I want to have mercy on that person... I would run and knock them onto the ground with a rugby tackle. I would make them suffer a small fall so that, they would so that they would avoid that fatal fall at the edge of the cliff. 
And so how much more with Almighty God? If God sees us marching towards the edge of the cliff of our own choices and our own, um, our own brokenness, our own lifestyle, and he just lets us keep on going without intervening, then how can we call God merciful? And if that sin is pride, which is, you know, often, that often it's pride, which is at the basis of most sins, then the merciful thing for God to do is to bring me down from my throne or to send me away empty. Why? Because only in facing my moral and spiritual emptiness will I start to long for the fullness that only God can bring, that only God is able to introduce into my life. So mercy must involve judgment. Firstly, because judgment and mercy are two sides of the same coin of God's justice. But secondly, because, that God will knock us down in order to help us avoid the much more dangerous fall that we're walking towards. You know, as a church, we've been trying to figure out how to serve coffee. Hands up if you're aware that we've been doing that over the past few weeks. Trying to figure this out. Okay, maybe you had an email in your inbox from me. Maybe we've had a conversation. And so we've been trying to figure out how to serve coffee in alignment with the province's guidelines because everyone loves a cup of coffee. My wife has a mug uh, saying coffee in Jesus. I hope that Jesus is first. Uh, but, but, but the long story short, uh, my first attempt to create a coffee solution was, I thought, a genius maneuver. Okay? Because... I was going to make the coffee proof of vaccination only. And I figured in all legitimacy, who would have a problem with that? After all, it's not like we're making the worship service proof of vaccination. It's only the coffee. And so we can have everyone, you know, come to church and not worry about it, which is amazing. And we can serve a cup of coffee. We can have our cake and we can eat it. And so this morning, I look back at the young and naive Dan of two weeks ago, and uh, I chuckle. I shake my head. How could I have been so foolish? It's now clear to me that I was an idiot, a well-meaning idiot, but an idiot nonetheless. But here's the thing. I wouldn't have known to repent of the poor decision I was about to make unless a few people had written me gracious emails telling me that my solution, quote-unquote solution, would actually cause more division, and we would end up being one of those churches where, um, where, where, where vaccination or not is an issue. And I've loved that we haven't made it an issue up until now. I love this about our church. But I was threatening to overturn that with my ill-conceived plan of serving coffee. And so I needed someone to stop me from walking to the edge of the cliff. And they did. They rugby tackled me with an email of grace. They showed me mercy. My point is this, right? That none of us has perfect knowledge. We all need mercy. And mercy in our lives sometimes looks like God bringing us down a peg or two. And, that, and when, we happen, we, when that happens, we don't like it. But it's necessary. And other times, God's mercy looks like raising us up. And whether it's bringing us down or raising us up, these are both indicators of God's mercy. 
When God sends us away empty because we're rich in ourselves and we think that we don't need him. And when God fills us up because we're so hungry for him. These are both ways that we eat the sandwich of God's mercy. If we were God with perfect knowledge, we wouldn't require mercy, but we aren't. We are limited, we're frail, we're foolish, we're sinful human beings, and it's because of this insufficiency in ourselves that we need God's justice that is both mercy and also judgment. It was only in receiving the wisdom from others that I could repent of the mistake I was about to make regarding serving our coffee. And so let's not assume that we're thinking straight. Let's not assume that whatever thoughts are going through our heads are the right thoughts. Let's assume, let's not assume that we have all of the details. You know, one of the leaders on the ship used to tell me uh, in my role as the personnel manager for 400 people from 60 countries, he would always say to me, what's one more thing that you need to know about the situation. You may think that you've wrapped it all up in your mind. You may think that you know how to go into this, but what is one more thing that you need to know? So let's not assume that there's not a better way for us to live life. And let's also not assume that God isn't interested in your uncertainty or your quandary or your predicament that you find yourself in. God is intimately interested in this thing that you are facing right now and you don't know how to deal with it. So let's assume instead that God is interested, that he is willing to get involved, that that he wants to get involved, and that in God's mercy, he will send you away empty, like Luke 1.53 says, if it causes you to hunger for him, and that in his mercy, he will cause you to be humbled if it makes you wake up and realize that you need God. An example, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, ruler of rulers. In Daniel 4, 27, Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar. Um, He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. Okay, that was the warning. That was God's grace, but nothing changes. And 12 months go by. A whole year goes by. Then one day, Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of his palace there in Babylon. And he says to himself and probably his entourage who are around him, he says this, Is is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And God's like, okay, that's it. I've had enough of you. That's it. And, and then a voice comes from heaven and says, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to whomever or to anyone that he wishes. Mary sings this. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And surprise, surprise, God's judgment is actually carried out. Verse 33 of Daniel 4. Immediately, 
What had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His, his, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Just have a picture in your mind of what Nebuchadnezzar looks like and what he's doing at this moment, okay? His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. God humbles Nebuchadnezzar because he's bringing judgment, but he's bringing judgment because he loves him. God's judgment is a sign of God's mercy. And so for seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar lives like an animal. We assume that um, he was pitied. Maybe he was mocked. He's written off. No one in their right mind would think that this, this, that this animal man can reassume his throne. No one takes him seriously anymore. But then in verse 34 of Daniel 4, it says this, at the end of that time, now it's changed, it's, it's no longer third person, it's first person. This is Nebuchadnezzar writing or, or speaking. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Friends, God's mercy has nothing to do with him being nice. Sometimes God's mercy actually looks like giving us what we really deserve. He will bring us down. He will send us away empty. Why? So that when, when we're in that valley that we find ourselves in, we may raise our eyes towards heaven. And it's that moment that we raise our eyes towards heaven when we see God exalted, when we uh, remember that God is on the throne, it's in that moment that our sanity is restored. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to end up certifiably insane so that he could learn to raise his eyes towards heaven and thereby have his sanity restored. And God will allow you to end up in a pigsty if it means you coming to your senses and starting to walk home. Friends, as Pastor Ray Dirksen says, he says that God cares more about your line of eternity than he does about your dot of this life. And it's God's mercy that is so focused on our eternal well well-being that he will judge us in this life. He will allow us to experience the consequences and the emptiness of our actions. Why? So that we might return to him. One day, one day God will recalibrate the entirety of the universe. One day he will set all things right. And if you aren't right with God this morning, then on that day, you will be part of the wrong that he sets right forever. You will be part of the problem that God fixes forever. But right now, in this Advent, in this liminal time, while we're still on this threshold of time and eternity, God extends to us the opportunity to be recalibrated, to be set right, to be fixed. This is God's mercy. This is God's mercy. James chapter 4, verse 6, as we close, says this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He shows favor to the humble. And then it continues. Come near to God, 
and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, just like Nebuchadnezzar, and he will lift you up.